Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to a new conversation um, on the Human Connection Podcast um, and Polyvagal Informed Conversation. I'm here today with the lovely Mathilde Porges Shisto, uh, Maddie, as uh, I'd like, uh, I love to call her. Um, we met through the Play Zone uh, training. Uh, with uh, Michael Allison, and uh, we met two was it two weeks ago in London? And yeah, yeah, and it was I love them. I'm so happy to um, to have this conversation, a continuation basically of the conversation that we've been having um, two weeks ago. Uh, but let me introduce you uh, first. Michelle um, um, Maddie uh, is a voice uh, and performance coach. Um, and I'd like to read a bit of um, your description uh, on your website, which is I absolutely loved. It's in my voice, myvoicecoach.org. So Maddie describes it here so brilliantly and beautifully. Um, my voice is my greatest ally. She is my caregiver, my justice warrior, my advocate, my educator, my truth teller, defender. And peacekeeper, <laughs> Maddie, welcome. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the sentence, about uh, the voice, your voice. How is it your greatest ally, which I absolutely really love this uh, sentence. Let's oh. begin from there. Thank you so much. And it's always really Lovely to be reminded of things that you wrote a long time ago. It's like, oh, right, yes, there she is. Um, well, a lot of people talk about finding their voice. And for me, it's never about refinding. For me, it's about revealing, recovering, re-experiencing. And she's always with me, even though in times where she's not there so anybody else can hear her, she's inside of me and she's like my compass and she's the person that talks to me inside my head. So I think about the duties that she performs and I'm a mother and I'm a professional and I'm a friend, I'm a colleague, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister, I'm an aunt. And I'm just thinking about all the ways in which our voices really support us and how it changes depending on who we're speaking to. It's just really, a, you know, a, a coat of many colours, a, a chameleon. And uh, the way that we use our voice to support our intention aligns so profoundly with the polyvagal theory. And uh, it's what really drew me to uh, the theory was the connection to the voice and the vagus nerve. So, yeah, so just that introspection of where is my voice, who is my voice, who is my voice in this moment, who is my voice in the different hats that I wear. And I came up with that because I was just free-fall writing of like, well, well what, what does she do for me? Who is she? And I think you are your voice, you are your identity in sound. And uh, we, at first, our first impression is our bodies. If we walk through the door, if we turn the camera on, and then the next thing that happens is we hear our voices. And the first note can really be an attraction, or it can be a threat and a repulsion, or an uneasiness and uncertainty. Yeah, lovely. It's, um, I'm now uh, thinking and conscious about all oh, my voice and how did it sound and all of, all of these things no, it's, it's in, in, in a good way. And I, I really hear you about, you know, the, the voice being, uh, as a cue of threat or a cue of, uh, safety. So how did you, you know, I know you found the polyvagal theory and it let me made a lot of sense. But prior to that, what was your intuition in regarding that? How did it, what shape was it? If that was a question. Yeah, it's, it's funny because the things that I learned through the theory and, and the pillars of education in the theory, and then since working with Michael Allison in the play zone, 
I discovered that a lot of the work I knew instinctively and intuitively. I have a performing arts background and expressive arts and predominantly in, in acting. So learning acting and the craft of acting and, and acting is one giant neural exercise, honestly. Mm-hmm. The things that you learn and the way that you use your voice and your body and the breathing and the attunement and the listening and then the text analysis and the discovery. So I was already doing everything quite intuitively. But then when I discovered the science behind the choices that I thought that I was making, it just grounded me so much in this, in this scientific world. And then it, at first I, I adopted it for my work as an actor and a voice coach, but then I started adopting it in my life and in my world as a friend and a parent and as an observer of life. You know, you go into the grocery store and you can see, you know, life all around you and the hierarchy and the interactions. And so for me it was just a real it was an, a validation and affirmation of what I had been um, hypothesizing that it, and so it kind of took everything to the next level. And so now when I pass on the education to other people, I say, did you know that it's not by chance that this happens? <laughs> you know, I, I think that your experience is like very similar to mine, very similar to a lot of people who don't come from the neuroscience world or the academic or the research kind of the science-based uh approach is like and and i think dr porges have said that i've heard him say it many times that it's not a new invention it's you know ancient traditions and and what people have been doing healing modalities have been doing in so many uh, different ways it's it's you know, it's following the polyvagal theory and not that polyvagal theory is something new, that it's a new invention that everyone follows. It's just bringing the science and like, yeah, it's in a way, a different way of validation with the language of the world we live in, which is science. It's like, yeah, it it falls in place. It works. Very makes so much sense. Out. And I love when you say you you started to take it into your world. And that's when I think the magic happens of like, oh, wow, this makes so much sense. So when it really? comes to the voice specifically, and we'll talk about, you know, acting and public speaking and performing um, uh, as well. But what what is the, for those who don't know, the relation between the voice and the nervous system and what's happening inside us, whether in, in a state of safety or um, a survival or a threat state? Mm. Well, the voice is can be a portal into changing physiological states, but it's also the broadcaster of those feelings. And as Dr. Paul just says, you wear your heart on your face and you hear it in your voice. Mm. And it's an autonomic response it's a reflexive response to the environment that you're in your voice will change when you change your thoughts your voice will follow but of course we can be intentional and we can use it to actually change states as well but if you think about that when I change my thoughts my voice will follow it just it just does and it just happens so the larynx and the vocal folds are on the superhighway of the vagus nerve and there, are, there is a particular attachment of the vagus nerve in a predominant muscle uh, between the soft palate and the tongue, for example, and then other branches of the vagus nerve that uh, come into the larynx and the vocal folds. So there's an absolute direct connection to the vagus nerve, which then goes to all many other organs of the body, as we know. So actually doing vocal exercises can really help increase the vagal tone and to um, bring your physiology closer into homeostasis. So when you're actually doing it, uh, vocal exercises, it's good for your health. We're not just using it as a, as a tool, as a public speaker or as an actor. And so it, if there is a threat response, we will hear it in our voice because anatomically what is happening is that your vocal folds sensing a threat are actually splitting quite far apart so that the oxygen, the air can come in and go to the muscles to get away or to, to fight or to flee. 
And what we, if we need to talk, we're trying to go against that autonomic response and we're trying to talk and bring the vocal folds together to create the vibration to create sound. So there's this squeakiness or an unsurety or an uncertainty that happens in your voice in a threat response. Sometimes the voice isn't there at all. As we know, like everything will shut down because we, we might need to be in a, in a threat response that is life threatening and our voices will leave us completely. And then of course we can look at ventral vagal, which is the central engagement system and how the vagus nerve is connected to the striated muscles of the face and the head and the inner ear and uh, the warmth and the welcome and the prosody of the voice, the intonation of the voice, the range of the voice to support our intentions. And so when we have um, a greater range in our voice, we're able to authentically articulate our intention. If we're just living in this particular range of our voice, which actually really happened over COVID, I mean, people who lived alone didn't speak yeah. or didn't have a lot of interaction. And if we don't use it, we lose it. Yeah. And so for some people coming out of COVID, I've worked with some clients that have said, I just feel stuck. And because, you know, your body has thought, okay, I, you don't need that area of my voice. I'm going somewhere else to help you out somewhere else in another nether region of your body. So, so we tend to lose it. And so I've worked with a lot of clients on revealing and rediscovering some of the aspects of the voice that they've lost. There's also obviously a direct relationship to any adversity, anxieties or trauma uh, that we have endured or lived through. You can hear it in your voice. So I, I, I look at the voice when I'm working with clients of not just what I hear, but what I discover mm-hmm. and what they're willing to share with me about their, their histories and their biographies. Their biographies and their biologies and their environment really shape their voices, our voices. I also use it as a way to shift those states to play with the voice, to find our play zone as Michael Allison's unique application of the theory is, that blended state of um, a mobilised energy but feeling safe and connected and in safety with another or with many others. What is that voice like? What is our, you know, as I said, as you as you described in the beginning, the voice that puts my children to bed or uh, is the caregiver? And so... If we can explore our voice and unlock the full range of our voice, I feel that we can authentically uh, deliver our intention and that's what I really help people to do. Yeah. That's lovely. And as you're speaking, I'm thinking of, you know, when we're speaking with, with babies, it's intuitively that even it's not that we decide that this is the tone we're going to speak to a baby. When we just uh, immediately go to the baby. I, this kind of a, a, a low voice, which someone might look at it and, 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 and get annoyed, but it's an intuitive thing that we do. The same thing when we're talking with a, you know, with a pet. And I'm also reminded of the many times that I've um, spoke with my children when they really pick up the tone and their and their voice, what what they're hearing in the voice, and not necessarily the 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 words that comes out, which is in many ways, m- many times we're contradictory. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to control that tone. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like okay, so but you can't, right? You can't. You pick it up. You go, ooh, there's something under that. Yeah, if you're trying to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, and it's quite difficult to um, to intentionally, especially in a kind of an alert or or aroused state of you know when I'm annoyed and I'm trying my best to speak nicely, it just does not work. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. It is an absolute microphone to the inner what's under that what's under that what's under that and you have to be pretty seasoned to really cover that and some people are some people are and um but you know the tuned ear 
can really go, ooh, I call myself the truth police here. It's like, ooh, I don't think she really meant that. But, you you know, most people can hear when people are being inauthentic yeah. and not saying what they mean when they say it. They're meaning something different. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I've also kind of known, but I couldn't articulate, but with the polyvagal theory that there is something that the nervous system is speaking the nonverbal, which is the nervous system, the you know facial expressions and tonality, even just body posture that says a lot uh, about a person. And when the words come out that it's not the same, it's it's kind of like mm, there is something kind of not great. Uh, about it, and I, I think I uh, I asked Deb Dana uh, the question with in regard with plastic surgery, and when people because oh. it felt like there is something not not weird but kind of uneasy feeling when I'm talking with someone who has a lot done to their face, mm-hmm. and and then when I, with understanding the social engagement and the muscles, like, yeah, their face doesn't move, and that doesn't, no. doesn't not feel safe to my system of, there isn't anything that is moving, no facial expression, and sometimes with that, the voice gets affected. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I don't know about you, but as soon as I, I'm out and I see someone with plastic surgery or an abundance of plastic surgery, my first thought is, oh, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> What's going on under the hood? I, I try very I, hard not to be judgmental. I try. Oh, really try. <laughs> but I'm curious. I'm curious. Like, why? Why do you want to do that? But exactly, I mean, with the Botox and the the inhibition of the muscles, that ex- the expressive muscles, and I mean, a lot of actors do it as well. And it's interesting to me because if you can't emote what is actually happening inside as a reflection of what is happening deeper, then I can't really connect with you authentically, I feel. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, it, 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 but no, I understand it. It's not they are mean people. It's just like I, I understand that unsubtle feeling that I get. Right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll probably hear it in your voice mm. when you speak to somebody that you feel uncertain about that changes your physiology and then how what you might have been, the state that you might have been in a moment ago has changed. Because you've heard their voice expressing their physiology change something in your physiology and therefore the way you respond back. And even there might be a slight retreat or there might be a, a gesture or there might be a turn of their head. And so where you were a moment ago, because of the voice, has shifted you as well. So it's very powerful, very powerful. It is, and I think uh, even with because you spoke about neurodivergence when um, when receiving voice with listening, there are some uh, sounds or vibration that feels threatening that could be kind of disturbing to the system, regardless of the the intention of the yeah. speaker, and it's just uh, it goes into that physiological changes. And uh, with that, the behavior, without the thinking, and and all of that comes uh, in place. So it's, um, and I like how you say it's. Uh, we could change the physiology with the voice, and the physiology changes the voice, um, which is, um, yeah. I think it, again, it's quite intuitive. Um, if we could um, just notice how we are speaking to different people. Uh, and how we speak to ourselves as well. Oh, yes, yes. Right? The biggest one. How the biggest speak? one. The biggest one. Yeah. How do I talk to myself uh, when I've got my head on the pillow? I should do that today. Blah, 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 blah. It's like the inner voice uh, can change that physiology so that we can come into more of a rest, digest, and restore, especially at night when my voice is very loud <laughs> at night. <laughs> inside me and <laughs> I need to turn her down 
and to calm her and soothe her so that she feels safe and she can fall asleep. Now I'm curious of what what do you do? What's your go-to soothing, calming the voice? One of many, if if you'd want to share. Yeah. I hum a lot. Okay. I hum a lot. I I do sing around the place as well. But when I do hear those voices coming up into my head, I'll just quietly speak really kindly to myself. You know, they say you would never say that to your best friend the way you speak to yourself. So I just speak really kindly and I look for, as Deb Dana, you know, explains the glimmers. I look for the good things that happen in the day, that I am safe, that I am taken care of, that I am kind, I am good, I am loved. And I just repeat that to myself a little bit. And then I will do some cadence breathing, actually. I will do a a six in and a six out to really calm my nervous system. They're my go-tos. That was my better. Humming is... What are your go-tos? Oh, go-to. I am quite sensory, so I've developed this habit of, of holding, kind of putting my hands together. Uh, when I'm sleeping and that kind of a squeeze, uh, light squeeze, uh, sometimes I would sleep with my hands kind of giving myself a hug and that kind of like oh, gives me that space. But it's um, it started with noticing that was, I think, like three, four years ago of the um, how much the fist affects my physiology. Mm-hmm. And then when I noticed that I sleep with my fists, uh, with my hand in a fist, that is just creates tension. Uh, and then it, it makes a huge difference when I open my, uh, uh, my hand. So I made it a practice of paying attention that I have my hands open when I'm sleeping. And that made a huge difference to the amount of tension that I have in my body. It's not, oh, that's body, but it, right. it's, 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 it's very, small thing to change and i and i think because it, i could see when someone is speaking with their hands in a fist there is an unnecessary tension that's going on and it could be an out of a habit but it's it's a very easy way to intentionally relax for me um, absolutely i would call that um minimum effort with maximum effect yes yes so it's just like this release your your hand and feel that support flood in and and that changes the voice too like having that fist will absolutely start to lock everything up through the thoracic cavity and up around in here so just that can actually have a direct relationship to the muscles in the throat yeah it's Fascinating, and and we are a fascinating computer. We are, and and what I think it's it's quite interesting that how simple these things. It's not a major, big, huge thing. Humming, we all hum. Even the sigh that happens, this that happens automatically with, well, with almost everyone. It's it's in the intelligence of the nervous system of like releasing that and kind of um, affecting the vagal tone. And uh, we do it all the time. Um, and yeah. it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing uh, to be able so to be simple yet. Uh, what, what did you say? Uh, Intimate effort, maximum ex- effect. Exactly. Yes. That's, uh, uh, I love that. So when it comes to acting, mm-hmm. and uh, I know that's something you you love to speak about, and I want to hear more about it, and I'd like to hear from an actor, and you are acting perspective in Polyvagal and as a coach in acting and performance, how does really understanding and fine-tuning the understanding of the nervous system helps you or kind of gives you more tools, so to speak. <laughs> it's, um, it was a revelation and it was a, a real discovery to me as well. And it's shocking that acting schools don't have courses in 
what makes us human <laughs> in understanding the nervous system, which is kind of ironic because we're creating humans. <laughs> we're creating new nervous systems that we are then having to have our nervous system slip into their nervous system. And then we have to play in them for hours and hours a day. And then we have to come back to our Maddie nervous system and be a mom and a wife and and, a, and all of that. So, oh, it's so big. It was like, it was, oh, my goodness, how can we take this knowledge of the autonomic nervous system and polyvagal theory and the play zone and apply it to acting? For me, it was just a no-brainer. It was, this is how we work. Let's lift the hood and let's have a look at how we actually work reflexively. And then how can we use that information and let it become more motor and intentional with a little bit of uh, of control? And then how can I use what I know to recover? Yeah. How do I bring myself back into my world? What is that aspect of recovery? So I I now teach the theory to, oh, oh I guess we'll, we'll start as, as being the actor. I can give you an example a show that I did last year, it was a really quite a large show and there were three women on stage and we all played between four and six characters. And we didn't have props and we didn't have costume changes. Everything had to be done through our physiology. Wow. So I was playing uh, an 80-year-old woman, a farmer with dementia, I was playing a 50-year-old war vet. I was playing an 11-year-old girl with a stammer and social anxiety. Uh, Yeah, and then I was playing a woman who just loved to get up and dance and boot scoot in in the bar. And so literally you would just have to change your physiology and find the voices. And so exploring the nervous system was fundamental in my creation of those other nervous systems. And if you can imagine, I mean, there's just, yeah, yeah. As so, you're speaking, I'm trying to visually imagine each character and they're, they cannot be more different from each other, I think. No. And, and uh, it was usually a two-hander, so the women would have to play up to 10 uh, characters each and go in and out, but um, the production that I was in used three three actresses. And uh, so it was an unusual split. So the director sent us our parts and sent us everything, and I'm looking at my um, did you realise that you have me as two characters speaking to each other in one scene? <laughs> and she went, oh, really? And she, looks, and she goes, oh, you can do that. <laughs> Oh my God. So it was the 50 year old war vet and the 11 year old with the stammer having a scene together. Oh, wow. And it was a scene where she was under incredible threat and he had to calm her down. And so I had to switch between those two characters on stage. And all as we had was a flashlight. So I had to use the flashlight to illuminate myself as the war vet and then shine it on the Oh, it was just. But it was so, it was just so wonderful to play, uh, having this information of diving in and out of all of the physiological states. Where am I now? What is happening? What's he doing? What's she doing? And it adds uh, so many layers because I, I talk about acting as having a little record player going on in the background. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're going about your day and you've just got music on in the background, all of these thoughts for the characters are ruminating. We're never just playing what is on the page. We're discovering what is under that, what is under that, what is under that, what else is going on. And so when I look at the nervous system and I think about mobilised energy, immobilised energy, um, communicative, social engaged, safe and, safe and social energy, it's a never-ending pool of information that can layer your performances. So I I use it like in the, in that perspective to explore explore my characters and I also use it as preparation for having a resilient and healthy nervous system and and creating my my off the court as Michael Allison will put it 
or off the mat or out of the room process and having my safety container, container of safety, and the people that I interact with, the books that I read, uh, the meals that I cook, uh, the self-care that I have, all of those routines prepare me to go into a production that is very, very taxing on the nervous system. So having that knowledge as well of knowing that it's also transient because a lot of plays aren't just about sitting around having a cup of tea. I mean, there are some large emotional, um, uh, another character that I played had, had lost a child. So how do I manage to create that um, story for myself and for the others in the show and for the, for the audience without losing myself completely to the to the point where I can't come back. And that's where I've found it the most helpful is in helping the more that actors understand about the nervous system and how the the journeys that we go on as characters are transient and they're not real, but our nervous system thinks that they're real when we're in these moments. <laughs> so so how do you take care of yourself and 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 manage that recovery time to come back into self? Yeah. So it, it it actually covers a lot of the basis of the preparation, the execution, and the recovery and general health and wellness and well-being of the actor. But it's also actually if you approach it well, it's a, it's good for you because you're 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 putting those challenges in front of yourself in a in a crew of safety and an and exploration with with safe, creative others. So it becomes a fantastic neural exercise as well. That's it's it's fascinating. Um, not, maybe in an, uh, another lifetime I'll be an actor, but it it fascinates me this um, idea of uh, or not idea the action of taking a personality and and like you said, it's not just the words; it's all their histories and all of that. And uh, and I've always uh, in, intrigued me the which I think you 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 did mention a few times is the recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because it is taxing to the nervous system of playing, especially, if, you know, um, listening to interviews with uh, with actors who played really, really heavy roles and how much um, it takes, the toll it takes from them, especially if it's something, if it's a character that it's almost completely the opposite of the kind of the nerve the the natural nervous system of the actor and and that recovery i think is is quite and we hear a lot of you know n- not great stories about actors who couldn't recover yes so how how is that information of you know plays on the the uh the ventral and all of these glimmers helps with the recovery of like okay how do you kind of address your nervous system is like, okay, so this, this tension, this arousal that happened that shut down whatever kind of uh, stayed the nervous system, that was just temporary. I don't need to take it into my daily life. And I can't imagine this being like a black and white and shut it down. And it's like, I don't, maybe it is, I don't know. How is that process of recovery? Um, happens aided by the nervous system knowledge that you have. Yeah, it really fascinated me. It was one of the things that I first brought to Michael when he, Michael Allison, when he brought to the world the play zone of anchoring in safety. And and for me, it was, okay, if I'm anchored in my, my active body and I'm allowing my character to go on the journey of up and out and through the the hierarchy of the nervous system, but always coming back to that notion of being anchored in safety, which is in my body. Now, actors work in a, in a hugely different way. Everybody works so, so differently. And even if they have a process, they won't necessarily use the same process every time they come to a role. So it really is very dependent. It's very personal. 
Um, some, uh, you know, in the 80s and 90s, it was very sexy just to dive in and be messed and never come out of it and just, you know, like adopt this person and, and never, like you, you would knock on the on the door but nobody was home. And and for me, working with those kinds of actors was a little bit of a threat response for me because I could never quite see them in it. So um, I think you're right in that there were a lot of, actors who couldn't quite recover and we've lost a few incredible actors because maybe maybe there was a realization that it wasn't transit or they didn't have the tools to bring themselves back or they just crossed a line too far into the psyche of the character and were unable to find their way back and didn't have somebody safe around them to help them do that and I see that with a lot of young stars and celebrities as well having a good team around you is so important we call it grounding to keep yourself grounded, but it's really to have an education of this is this is what you're going through as this character in this world, and having somebody supportive to to bring you back. I forgot the question. <laughs> um, um, I I don't know if there was a question, but it was uh, wonder. But this is this is fascinating. So so when you say anchor, and and I'm uh, and please to write because this is how I'm seeing it that there is this. Um, uh, Maddie, that it's still there. It's who you are in essence. You know, um, as IFS would call, you know, capital S South, that is still there, that it's existing, even if it's in the background, but it's still there. Even if the character is, is, is playing something quite vicious, quite something that is not really maddie at all maybe it's even even a different age and different gender and different you know life circumstances but that maddie is still there that it could the character can grow big and animate and do all of these things but still find a way back to who maddie is and 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 mm -hmm. anchor in that so it's not losing the sight of completely of like Maddie and who she is. And I think that that seems like a very quite a complicated and intentional skill that I don't imagine it being easy to have, to to have that in mind of safety. I don't know. Yeah, and not and not everybody does. I mean, some people can just be having conversation and camera rolls and they're in a flood of tears and they're immersed in the story. Um, some people will take uh the opportunity of a role to really fully immerse. So Daniel Day-Lewis, for example, never comes out of his characters the entire time that he's shooting. Mm. And uh, when he, so he comes home as that character, like his wife lives with that character for months and months, and he doesn't play easy roles. Yeah. But he takes almost a year to recover. Okay. Yeah, to retune his nervous system. Uh, to come back into who he is and he talks about his process. He says it's not for everyone. It's the way that I love to work. Depending on my roles and what else I've got going on in my world, if I have the opportunity to really dive in and explore my process, what if I do this? What if I do that? What if I really, um, really believe it one night? What if I step out of it just a little bit? So you can use it to play and to experience and to explore your own process uh, so for me, if I, the last show that I did is I had a whole ritual and routine. So I knew, uh, like I was on at the very end of the show and I come in with this whirlwind heartbreaking monologue. And for me to get myself there, I knew at 8.10, I had to put the clothes on. At 8.20, I had to put this particular music on. At 8.30, I, I so I actually had a process building up to where I needed to be to hit the stage in this kind of like manic um, but controlled uh, monologue. So it's, it's, and that's the beauty of our craft is that it's really never the same and it, it opens up so much exploration and it's fun and it's curious and, and then you, but you have to come back and, and, and function. So for me, at the end of the show, a lot of actors will hit the bar, which I used to do in my younger years, right? You all just like sit around, have a, you know, have a drink. Don't do that anymore. But just having that recovery time of coming back down, what do I need to do? How do I de-roll? And I think that there's a lot of information out there 
in in acting schools for how to load up, how to front load, but there's not a lot of like what happens at the other end. How do I de-roll? How do I come back safely? So yeah, it's it, it is um, actually now just to think of it. There's a even with with training and sports, and there's a lot of about how you train for a marathon or how do you train to her, but not not as much importance is done uh, or sp- spoken about. Probably it is, but not for the uh, uh, as much as the recovery. Um, mm-hmm. Just that's, and, and I think that's, you know, I can think of so many things, birthing, you know, you spend nine months or so knowing everything and then that hits and, and not a lot of people talk about what happens yeah. psychologically, emotionally after. So it's the recovery that I think is the missing piece for, for, for all of us in so many different places. Uh, but I want to come back to something you mentioned a few times is the role of uh, the community. Uh, those people around you, uh, like when you're talking about Daniel Day-Lewis and I'm thinking it's like, oh, I'd love to <laughs> to have his wife's input or I don't know if he's married or, or his children. It's like, how do they cope with that? But I can imagine it's it, you really need someone really supportive and understanding and containing to be able to take a year of recovery. And so it's that social aspect of support mm-hmm. that is um, is important. It's not just the rituals that we do in ourselves. It's having, you know, that container, whether on stage or off stage. Can you speak right. a little bit more about the social support and that, you know, uh, like as a coach, when Michael talks about it, of like that container of social another human support that comes that is very important yeah it's just important as a human isn't it no matter what you do and what from the acting perspective is if you're retuning your your nervous system every night or every day to come back into your social world can take time and there i think that there are people that you feel more comfortable with and, and maybe you don't see when you're recovering from a role or, or maybe it's like, oh, my gosh, I'm so done with that. I can't wait to jump back in. I think it's going to be different every time. And I don't know about you, but the older I get, the smaller my social pool becomes. It's like, yeah, I just can't be bothered. <laughs> I do a lot. I cannot be bothered a lot these days. But yeah. uh, age and stage. Um, so, but I think having people that, really respect what you're doing is is nourishing you and that you want to do this and you need to do this. And therefore, there's a lot of additional responsibility that your partner takes on or that your children take on or the acceptance that your friends aren't going to see you for a while. Uh, so it's, it's, it's surrounding yourself with people who just – respect and acknowledge that what you're doing is important to you and therefore for this time I will support you. I was in a first marriage where I wasn't supported at all and I couldn't do what I liked and I actually took a 10-year hiatus from acting because I didn't, uh, my children weren't safe at home and I couldn't drop everything and trust that this person was able to do that. So I had to sacrifice 10 years of my career because I didn't have that supportive container. Mm. And then I remarried and, and, and my husband was absolutely, I got this. And so I was able to, to jump back in, which has been incredible. That's that it's, it's wonderful. It, it, it's never one person's doing we can't do anything alone. That's that's my belief. We need that support. And how about that professional support that is in you know fellow actors? You're kind of the whole crew of of, of that. How important is that um, support for the actual kind of performance and for their recovery? 
Yeah, it's interesting. It's a really good question because sunsets and some shows are safe and full of camaraderie and connection, and you become a family. And some, uh, like just a film set, for example, there can be so many threats around there which can feed a vulnerable or insecure actor about their work. And 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 now we know where we can be attaching these stories to what my physiology is doing or it can loop in the other way. And so it can really interrupt the work and, and other people have no idea the effect that they're having on you. So it's this constant navigation of what is safe what is uh, what is a threat to me, and and so you can have shows where it's it's that it's it's not a great experience. It's not a great experience for you. So um, I think we know to do our best work. We need to feel safe and secure. But then some people thrive on not feeling safe and secure. So it's and and then what is that? What's under that? So it's just like this never end, this book that never ends. It's, it's it's fascinating because we're we're not the same. We're different. We're even different people in different times. Anyway, yes. Even that uh, add to that complexity. <laughs> well, last night I didn't sleep because I had I did yoga yesterday and I pulled my shoulder, and uh, and I got up this morning and went. My physiology is not matching my intention today. I hope this goes well. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's working very well. And oh my goodness, we're we're really at time. But I want to um, bring it to your um, the coaching as uh, for actors because we we talked about you as an actor and how that um, influenced you understanding the nervous system. But as a coach, when you're coaching um, actors and um, performers or public speakers uh, in that, what are the kind of the main um, things that you make it really important for them to know from a nervous system perspective? Mm -hmm. The first thing is when I walk into the room, where are they? Where are they at today? That is the very first thing, whether I'm working with politicians or if I'm working with actors, and oh. and I um, I understand you're saying where are they in the in their nervous systems? Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where are they? Really really <laughs> <laughs> yes, like five. Yeah, we, we get to speak this language and we understand it. But for those who are listening, um, it's not like where they are in the room. They are where they are. Yes. In, in, Thank you. What what state they are in, are they at, or their nervous system uh, is at? Whether it's in sympathetic uh, play zone, fight, flight, whatever um, the different ones. So yeah, yeah. you had to. Yeah. So so I'm yeah exactly. Thank you so much. Uh, so I I match them. I come in and I and I sense that. And having a very good understanding of the nervous system now, you can pick it up. Yeah. Up in their posture, in their breathing, in their uh, even where they literally the, their geography in the room as well. Are they staring out the window? Are they warming up? Are they on the phone? So I come in and I match, and then I start to bring them to where I need them to be to do the work, depending on what the work is. So at the very very beginning, as soon as I walk through the threshold, that's that's where I begin. That's that feel, and, and that creates some trust and some safety. Yeah. Like I got you, I see you, I hear you, and then we open up. What do we? What do we have to do today? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. That's matching them, meeting them where they are, as Michael have you know coined. Is it's that um, just to bring it uh, home in in an example? It's like when someone is really angry or agitated or annoyed, coming with a soft, calm voice is not the greatest thing. It would most probably get them more annoyed and mm. not to be angry and annoyed as they are, but with this, at least with a certain level of energy of mobilization that it's at least kind of brings them to, you know, it's like, oh, okay, they could hear you, what you're saying. They're not so yeah. annoyed by this different, completely different state um, that they have. Yeah. If I if I provide the safety, can we turn that into play? Yeah, yeah, that's uh, well. Um, 
It's lovely talking to you, Maddie. As oh, it's so good to talk to you. And it was so great to meet you in London and to have our tea at the at the Tate. And yeah, it's, it's it's wonderful. And and this is honestly why I have these conversations because I absolutely love having them. And I'm amazed of what comes up. And to me, it connects the dots, no matter wh- who I am speaking with or the profession. And I'm I get more excited. To when someone is taking it to um, a territory or a place or a profession that I know not much about, like voice coaching and uh, and acting, because that gets my curiosity all up. And we know how ventral we need to be to be in that curious. <laughs> yes, yeah. Well, it, it never ceases to amaze me, and I'm endlessly curious and interested in it as well. When when I when I see an adoption. And an integration of the theory into so many different domains. Yeah. So, how do people find you? I'm going to put their website and all of that. But if you want to speak a little bit about what you do, um, uh, so people can find you. Oh, sure. Thank you. My 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 website is myvoicecoach.org. I'm based in Vancouver, in British Columbia, but I work globally through Zoom. I I do one on one coaching. And I also work in small groups. I have small groups starting next month. Uh, so if you go to my website, you can see all of the the different packages that I offer. Uh, but really it starts with a conversation. Uh, what has called you to the voice work? Who are you? Where are you? Uh, what do you hope to achieve? Why now? So we, we really start with a conversation to see how I can optimize uh, what is happening with your voice. And uh, people are called to the work at different times. It's not, but people don't always think about working on their voice either. Uh, we, we think about, we go shopping for clothes, we get our hair done. We, you know, we can go and buy beautiful plants like you have in the background to set my scene. But like, what is happening here? So not everybody, it's not a go to, oh yes, got to work on my voice. However, when you do start to work on your voice, you see it seep into so many different areas of your life. Like you said, like when you're at home, even for me, calling people for dinner, someone will say, are you angry? I'm like, no, I'm a voice coach. I, I have breath support. I can, I can, <laughs> I'm not angry. <laughs> it's dinner. um so just having more of an awareness of is my voice aligning with my intention at this moment it's very helpful yeah it's um something popped in my head but i think that would be a conversation for another time but i'm really fascinated to uh, to see i'm thinking of different cultures and their tonality and the way of uh speaking some people would speak in a higher tone some people speak more quickly and how that translates to their own embodiment of being in the world and their own history and that's quite a fascinating you got it you yeah, got it but yeah, yeah, it's I'll a have to wide and deep river that one whoa yeah you got it yeah that's <laughs> so another one i'll have to put a pause on myself to on that um Thank you very much, Maddie, for this lovely conversation. And I'm really uh, happy to have met and get to know you more at work in what you're doing with with Michael in the play zone and uh, personally. And uh, yeah, I hope to have more conversations in the future. Thank you very much. Me too. Thank you so much.